Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 65, which along with Psalm 64 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, September the 12th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at the book of Job today in chapter 40, verses 1 to 24. Then over in the Gospel according to John, chapter 11, verses uh, 55 through chapter 12, verse 8, and in uh, the Acts of the Apostles, we're in chapter 15, verse 36, through chapter 16, verse 5. So <clears throat> what we're looking at today in the book of Job is, is God has answered Job, and then finally, here, here's the end of the first speech of God, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So, Job, you're a fault finder. There, that, that's your job, is it? Did, did I remember giving you that job? I mean, I, certainly if you've ever pastored a church, if you've ever led people at all, you know that personality, right? You know the fault finder, the one who, who can tell you everything that's wrong and can't tell you any solutions for it. I mean, most of the time, people can identify the problem. It doesn't take special genius to identify problems and when there, when there are uh, things going on that are not right. What it does take is somebody who, who can step in and say, hey, not only do I see the problem, I've got at least a couple of options for that we ought to think about as far as solving that problem. And so Job just finds fault is what God says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have t- spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. In other words, I, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I don't have anything further to say. I am sufficiently in awe that I'm just going to keep my mouth shut now. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, <clears throat> dress for action like a man. In other words, put on your big boy pants again. Let's go. I'll question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? In other words, you've gotten too big for your britches, Job. You've lost sense of, of my majesty. And that really is, it's a danger always in the church, that we would lose sight of that. There's two aspects of God that we need to hold in tension all the time, and one is the transcendence of God. In other words, how he surpasses us, how he is so much greater in every single way than we are. And so there's, there are some churches that make much of the transcendence of God, and that makes him inapproachable. It makes it impossible to approach the throne. Job has, has made the opposite mistake. He has treated God like a man, and said, I can put you in the dock, I can reason with you, and you will see that, that my side is the right side of this argument. And so you can lose sight of the transcendence of God, and that's always a danger, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We, it's not that we ever outgrow that. Everything begins there with that uh, fear of the Lord. And so we start in that place. We never um, lose that place. But then what we get along the way is relationship 
and that's the incarnation tells us these things and brings us into relationship with him and brings God back down to earth in the same way that he was with Adam and Eve in a lot of ways where he walked with them in the garden and then sin separated them and so God could no longer literally walk among them in that way because his holiness couldn't be compromised. Therefore, when he did, he had to take on flesh like a man and become like us in order to be among us. So we, we can get the the transcendence of God, we can lose that in, in what we call the imminence of God, the nearness of God. And, and so some denominations seem to specialize in one or the other. He is so big, so great that he can't be bothered with human problems and doesn't act in human events. Okay, so that's one that makes too much of the transcendence of God. They write songs like, um, God is watching us from a distance. And then the other side can make the mistake of, of um, making too much of the eminence of God and losing sight of the transcendence of God. And that's how you get Jesus is my boyfriend songs. And so you can get make too much of that, and, and that's the error Job made that God is correcting here. Will you put me in the wrong? Have, an, have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Well, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, big boy. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who's proud, bring him low. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save. When you can do the things I can do, big boy, then, then I'll agree with you that your right hand can save you. And then he's going to point to creation and say, I created these things. These, these are the things that, that I did. Now, now, what can you do about these things? Behold, behemoth, and we don't know what behemoth is. There's, there's, people put forward lots of different options for what creature this might be, and, and the answer is they all kind of get disqualified along the way, which I made as, behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, same way, or same in the same capacity, which I made as I made as you. He eats grass like an ox. That means it's not an alligator or a crocodile. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. This is a very powerful animal. And so some people suggest a, a hippopotamus or a rhinoceros or something like that. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Now, see, again, we don't know how, how do you square that circle then. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he's not frightened. He's confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? In other words, you, you couldn't create even this which is one of the first things that I did. So it, behold this and, and explain that to me. So the greatness of God is displayed in his creation and in his creativity. So both those things at the same time. In the gospel today, remember Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, and so now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They, they needed to get there, make the appropriate sacrifices, do everything necessary to be ready to celebrate the Passover with the nation and as a nation. And so you go up a little bit early 
to take care of all the things that you need to do in order to purify yourselves in the same way they were told to purify themselves before the Passover and then again at Mount Sinai. So they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Do you think maybe because of everything that's gone on and and how much pressure there is on him and how much these people want him, do you think he just won't come up here at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know and so that they might arrest him. So the word was out that this was the plan. They wanted to arrest Jesus. Now, the only way they were finally able to get somebody to do it was to get Judas, who we're going to see here in a minute, um, to help him, to do it in such a way that they could, they could find Jesus in a way when he was surrounded by only the disciples. Therefore, others wouldn't get involved in this arrest in any way. And so they needed somebody who would betray him and where he was and at the time when there would be the fewest people around him. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, because they were coming to prepare for the Passover as well, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. Of course, Martha served. Martha always serves. It's her thing. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So it's only the, the men folk who are going to recline at table. Now, remember before when, when Martha was serving them, um, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus when he was teaching. This is not at a meal, though. And so the, this, this scene today is at a meal. And so at that point, Mary had sat at his feet so she could listen to him. Martha objected to that and said, hey, she's not helping me make her do this. Now, hospitality was a supreme virtue. In Judaism, it, it was one of those things that you could abandon everything else for, was to provide hospitality. So it was not unfair for Martha to do that, and Martha to ask for Mary to help. And, and likewise, it was not wrong for Martha to busy herself at those activities. But Jesus says, no, Mary's chosen the better part, and I'm not going to force her to do something else. And so here now, Mary takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, which could only be gotten from the highest peaks in the Himalayas. The, the flowers would be picked there, and then they would come down, and they'd be pressed and made into this perfume called nard. And, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, John alluded to that prior to introducing us to that scene. And so there, there's another story of somebody anointing Jesus with with ointment as well, and that's a different story that happens at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And so this one is a completely different story, very similar kind of thing. When she lets her hair down, then then she's done this in the presence of all these people and done this. In in some ways, this is a sign of deep intimacy. Now, there's nothing untoward that happens here. There's nothing sexual about this, but, but she is expressing her love for Jesus in a very unique way. Um, And so the house was then filled with the fragrance of the perfume because it's on his feet, and then she's wiping it with her hair, and so now it's in her hair. And so you can just see John reflecting on this and remembering this multisensory experience of seeing this, hearing this, and then breathing in the aroma and the fragrance of the perfume that he says permeated the entire house. So, but in the, into the midst of this, we get a discordant note. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's almost a year's wages. So it was a very expensive ointment that she has used here. And he said this, though, John says, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So somebody putting in 300 denarii would have given given him even greater opportunity to steal. 
Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you don't always have me. So Jesus is saying, you know, she's not using the entire pound of ointment at that time. He's, he's saying, no, don't send her to go sell this thing to give to the poor. And I've told you before, one of the things that, that you do around Passover and more so even around um, Yom Kippur it has to do with the, um, the idea of giving to the poor to atone for sins, because there's merit that's accrued at that time. And so around the time of the Passover, there are a lot of poor people that come into Jerusalem at that time because they know all these pilgrims will be there, and that it's beneficial for those pilgrims to give to the poor as, as ways of doing um, mitzvah. So they're, they're going to, to be there uh, because the takings will be great at this time. And so when Jesus says, you'll have the poor always with you, um, I, but, but leave it for the day of my burial, nobody in that room thought that was going to be within the next couple of weeks. And it was. It, it was less than two weeks later that they will be anointing him for burial, or at least they think they will anoint him for burial, but they don't quite get an opportunity to do that because something intervenes, right? The resurrection, <laughs> In the uh, uh, Acts of the Apostles, that lesson today, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, they've gone to Antioch. Remember, they made a missionary journey out of Antioch, and, and now they're back in Antioch. And, and the Jerusalem Council had sent people down there with, um, with Paul and Barnabas. They had sent others, including Silas, down to, to, to convey the word that, no, we're not laying circumcision and the entire law upon you, only these few things that we, we need you to do. So that's where they are. That's the setting. After those people have, have left, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In other words, let's go back to all those places that we, we've just been. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, the author of the gospel. <clears throat> but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, we remember Luke told us that Mark left them there. Now, we don't know why he did that. We don't know if he did it because he didn't want to deal with any more persecution or some other reason. But Paul clearly thinks that, that he abandoned him in an hour of need. When, when there was great persecution coming against Paul for the work that he was doing, then, then John Mark left them there in that place. And so Paul is not in a mood to forgive him and restore him who had abandoned them there arose a sharp disagreement between he and Barnabas, so they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, when it says strengthening the churches, these are the churches that he would have planted when he was there. He would have raised these people up, got the thing started, figured out who the leadership ought to be, and then he would have gone on to the next place. He also came to Derby and to Lystra. Now, that's, those are the places where he was stoned and thrown out of the city, where, where they also first tried to worship he and Barnabas as gods. So now he's come back to these places. And there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was Greek. So when, when it refers to the Jews in the book of Acts, wherever they are, then that refers to Jewish non-believers. And when I say non-believers, I mean those who don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Here, we're told by Luke that, that Timothy's mother is a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. 
he was well spoken of. He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And now Paul will leave him ultimately in Ephesus, where he's going to lead that church there. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the Jews who were in those places are these Jewish non-believers. And so his father, Timothy's father, was Greek, and so he had not been circumcised, but his mother was Jewish. So Paul circumcised Timothy. Now, he didn't circumcise Titus when they were in Jerusalem. And so what's the distinction between these? Well, he's raising up Timothy to be a leader in this place where these Jews are. And so there's a missiological purpose. He doesn't want them to have this club they can wield over him that's going to have to be dealt with again later, even though it's already been dealt with in Antioch. Paul could have taken that letter with him, but he wouldn't have had the authentication of the witnesses who came from Jerusalem to say, no, this is how it goes. So he's raising somebody up into leadership now in a place where there are Jews who are to be evangelized. And so Paul felt it was necessary in this particular case, because Timothy's mother was a Jew, and because there were these Jewish people there, he felt it best to go ahead and circumcise him in that situation. And in only that situation, because we know that, for instance, in Galatians, Paul said no, 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 no. And so there's this idea early on that in order to be a leader in these congregations, particularly where there are Jews to be evangelized, Philippi is a different situation, right, because there's, there's only a house of prayer there which means typically it would mean that there were not 10 Jewish men, which was the, the number required to form a minyan, which would then become a place where you could have— a minyan is, a, is a, a, a congregation where you would be able to have a synagogue. You needed 10 righteous men, 10 Jewish men. And, and that's, again, based on Sodom and Gomorrah and where Abraham bargains with God over that. He gets him down to 10. If there's 10 righteous men there, I won't destroy the place. And so the problem is is that you don't want to form a minyan. You don't want to form a synagogue in a place where there is not a minyan, where there's not 10 righteous men because God might destroy the place. So in Philippi, we know that wasn't a problem. So there wasn't a big Jewish community there. Here, there's a big Jewish community. And so Paul says, I'm not appeasing these people. I'm just taking away their objection by circumcising Timothy. So he did because his father was a Greek, but his mother was a Jew. And that made all the difference in the world. Titus's family weren't Jewish at all. But Timothy is going to have a ministry that's going to hopefully include these Jews. And he wanted to take away their ability to object there in that place. So as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's the Jerusalem council that we talked about where um, they, they had decided there are only these few things that you needed to pay attention to. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, I would look on this circumcision of Timothy thing in, in, a, in a different kind of a light. If I were sending somebody to certain people groups, it wouldn't bother me so much if they were seminary trained or not. But if I were sending, if there were a group of people, and this did happen within, with the AMIA early on, there were a group of people who were highly educated, who were well-known in the Christian world, who, who were looking for the possibility of bringing somebody in to lead that congregation. 
Well, to lead that congregation, we needed a very specific kind of person. It had to be a person who was very intelligent, who was well-versed in Scripture, who knew who they were and what they believed and were solid in those things, because otherwise they were not going to be able to lead this, this congregation, because it, it would have been over a lot most people's heads, frankly. And so it, it's always a difficulty to figure out the right fit for the right place. And so you, in some places, you wouldn't feel the necessity of sending in people who had seminary degrees and all that kind of stuff. You want to make sure people are well-trained. But, but, but in that instance that I was giving you in New York, we needed a very specific kind of a person, and, the, and there's not a whole lot of those people. So here, that's what Paul, the decision Paul makes is, he says, we have a missiological thing going on here, and I want to make sure that we don't, we don't end up having to deal with problems that really are not problems, and especially ones that I can fix. Because his mother was Jewish, then he was considered to be Jewish as well, but he still hadn't been circumcised, and so now he has to go the whole way to do this. And Timothy would have had to agree to that as well. I mean, Paul didn't just take him out and knock him over the head with a rock and circumcise him. So they both had to have agreed that this was the best thing for the mission that God seemed to be calling Timothy to. So we always have to make allowances for local issues and local reasons for things, and we, and we do that. We make those decisions as best we can. Now, it's not to say that, that an uneducated person couldn't have gone up there and led that congregation. If they were completely filled with the Spirit of God, then, then they could have done things that, that you know, a seminary-educated, non-Spirit-filled person couldn't do. So it's important that we match, those, match people to circumstances, but at the same time, we have to leave room for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in these things. And that's the reason that that James said, you know, it seemed good to us to send Silas and, and Judas up here to speak with you guys, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to determine what the, the things that we were requiring of you would be. So it's always important that we, we say, okay, we're making our best human decision, but at the same time, we're, we're praying and laying this before the Lord in order that He can determine what needs to be done in these situations. So we're accepting what God told Job to be true. You know, I think I know some stuff, but God is the one who ultimately knows everything. And then we can also deal with it on the level that Jesus did with the eminence of God as well. And so we can leave everything to Him because we know he's transcendent, but we can also speak with him because he's also eminently present in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's always important for us to know the situation in which we stand and to listen to him tell us what to do as Mary did in anointing Jesus.